0: is yes. powered by said.
1: Today on Radio Primavera Sound, we welcome John Beltran, a producer from Lansing, Michigan, who's been making quality electronic music for more than 30 years now. Both under his own name, I recommend the classic 10 Days of Blue album. And as Placid Angles, whose excellent new album Touch the Earth, was released earlier this year. One, One thing that fascinates me about you is you released your first record in 1991. How do you keep being inspired to make new music after all this time, how do you not just end up in a sort of, <laughs> you know, thinking I've done this before, I can't do it. How do you keep on coming up with new things?
0: Well, for starters, I think I have done things over and over again in a subtly nuanced way. Um, my sound is there, right? It's pretty much my sound, I think, at this point. Um, I kind of revisit... Um, all sorts of kind of, uh, you know, there's different, you know, decades now. <laughs> My I'm 52. So I kind of followed the trends a little bit. In the, in the 90s, I followed the, uh, uh, the IBM and the Detroit techno. You know, in the 2000s, I went into, I got into new jazz pretty heavily. You know, the jazz Novas and uh, Truby Trios and Compost Records and Ubiquity Records inspired me. And then moving on to now I kind of go back to all of those things. I'm doing a little bit of all of it. I'm doing electronic, uh, I'm doing my style of stuff. I before I was working with Fortet for a while. I was very inspired by what where he was at. And so I don't think I set any trends. I think I follow quite a bit, but I do my thing and and I've come kind of come back full circle. I'm doing, you know, doing the 90s idea and stuff, but I'm also doing some Brazilian stuff, some kind of jazzier acid jazz, bring the acid jazz kind of incognito vibes um, stuff as well. So it's easy to be inspired to answer a question when there's so, so much to so many different scenes and, and, and genres to kind of you grab onto, I guess.
1: And I mean, I'm not sure if you've been saying this, but I've been seeing a lot of 90s influenced music um, you know, a lot of influences from 90s House, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's been, right? Is it strange for you as someone who was making that like, music back then to see it coming, coming back?
0: No, it's cool. You know, for a while, a little confused. Uh, like, whoa, that sounds like us. But, you know, there's so many people doing it now. So many artists out. So much music coming out. It's, you know, you're going to get, there's a lot of throwaway stuff too, but there's, you know, a lot of, great uh energy coming out of you know this music that's a lot more accessible a lot more easy to produce right um and when someone a good idea is a good idea whether it's from 95 or or uh you know 2005 or and uh, and beyond so i'm like the song's the hero right so whatever 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 is hot is hot to me
1: Two things for me have really brought all of your different types of music together or the music you've made. One Mm -hmm. is that it's very melodic and two, it's that very emotional. Um, Does that sound true? And what kind of brings you to those different things?
0: When I was younger, it was like pretty, um, pretty legitimate emotion. You know, I think I was going through a breakup during 10 Days of Blue. Now things seem to be a little more technical and I know how to draw on. It's almost like an actor that draws on. It's a good crier on on camera. I can kind of pull that out. Um, And I think music, even technically, you can um, compose even just in kind of a, even when I'm happy, I can compose melodic, uh, melancholic music um and i'm predominantly happy i'm a father now 52 years old and healthy thankfully and and not to not a lot to be melancholy about but i i still love emotional music whether it be um you know done on a gu- acoustic guitar or with electronics so um for me drawing emotions are predominantly technical nowadays I because I know when I hear something what is uh, emotive I guess and I just go with it and um, but generally I have a goal when I write music now and in that f- framework I can kind of draw on those emotions you talk about and and still draw from some of the things that I've done before as I kind of loop back around on what I was saying before that a lot of it I pull a lot of that from my early releases, quite frankly, The 10 Days of Blue seems to be one of the most kind of landmark albums that I get a lot of young and older people talking about when they talk to me about my music. And so I still kind of go back and I kind of draw from some of those moments, I guess.
1: I'm fascinated because I love 10 Days of Blue and mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a breakup album. Um, what, what happened? I don't
0: think it's uh, worth talking about now. Just kidding. I um no, just a gal, just a gal, and uh, um and you know I was 26. I don't think there was a whole lot, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on. um, I guess um, romantically, and when I look at the whole big picture, and where I'm in mad love with my fiance now, um, it's an entirely different thing. It was. It was uh, just a breakup at the time. And um, my, my cousin, William Lopez, who named all the songs on that, as well as named the album, was going through a breakup as well. So he and I, you know, cried in our scotch, if you will, and, our, and uh, together. And basically just like did these cool tracks and he came up with these really beautiful names, beautiful titles uh the artwork kind of rounded it out and 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 it's uh, kind of one of those moments in time and but technically I was in a really good place uh was just coming off Earth and Nightfall with on RNS and I wanted to do something really minimal in comparison and I was like my chops were really at that point for that point, period in time my chops were were probably at their at their best coming off of my early 90s into mid 90s that's was kind of like my that's where the pinnacle for that period was for me
1: so um we talked about emotion um what mm-hmm. emotions dominate touch the earth uh, the most recent placid angles album
0: yeah um i think i draw from some of those uh Early Peace Frog records, uh, some of the the, um, the the melody style chord progressions, um, but I think it's a contemporary kind of statement on the world and where we are with our environment, um, politically, you know, and geopolitically, and how people treat one another and how we treat the planet and i think i'm i was really involved in politics and i don't i'm not ashamed to say anti trump and anti fascist anti all the you know right wing stuff so i was um and always pro uh, environment so this was uh a grown up version of i think um the original 10 days, or not 10 days, before, but uh, the cry, placid angle. So it's kind of just come full circle, I think. Um, and with those kind of issues kind of leading the way, but also there are some Native American kind of themes on this record that are, you know, I re- my fiance and I refer to a lot of these things uh, spiritually as well. Um, some of the some of the good things to draw from um, and our um, kind of our natural state and the, the environment. So that's where I, you know, it's just kind of where I'm at in my life and um, kind of, but it's evolved from, you know, the, my early Placid angles on, in 91 aquatic, you know, it's just kind of evolved into the, into the cry and then into first blue skies with um, magic wire, and then into the latest with, with figure. So it's all been kind of a theme and kind of who I am.
1: Talking about the environment, the environmental theme, um, do you think that electronic music is good at conveying a kind of message like that?
0: Not really. I don't think there's, it's anti-environment, but I think it's, you know, everything's so machine kind of, you know, you, when you think of, you know techno i think of craft work and initially it's, it's a futuristic it's like we've moved past the organic right um even historically just that's the way there it was it's always been going that way the detroit techno is all about detroit decay and um you know the you know just the big city um uh, concrete jungle thing and i uh I've always been more into the, I was really big into um, new age and I was really, I loved a deep forest. I loved some of the, these, you know, I love deep forest and they were always really uh, organic and, but yet it was machine and me machine music and um, samples and breaks and really cool ambient chords. And that was kind of a big, uh, a big moment for me that, that early deep forest. So that, that was kind of the Placid Angles model, I think, if you will. And also Aquatic. Um, my first release, Aquatic, they had the whales in it. And, and that was kind of um, connect, trying to connect the dots for myself between the machine and the kind of natural natural world, I guess.
1: One of the interesting things, I mean, you talked about Placid Angles being inspired by kind of new age, earth sounds, chill out scene. Um, sure. Those kind of scenes back in, in the 90s were not very well seen on the whole. And now they're, they're, they're sort of, they've become very much back into fashion. How, how do you feel about that? that? That sort of this this scene, that this kind of quite overlooked scene in the 90s is now, you know, records selling for, for hundreds of dollars and kind of basically very fashionable.
0: I'm not sure I understand totally the, the question.
1: Well, yeah. when, when you... Um back in the 90s when you started, um, things yeah. like Deep Forest were not particularly fashionable. Sure. Now sure. new age music is very fashionable. Sure. How sure. does that make you feel? Like
0: oh, um, I don't know a lot of new new age stuff. Um, maybe you can uh turn me on to some. I uh, um I love that idea. I would love if that is actually a thing. I think when I think of like um some of Forte's latest stuff, he's kind of dabbling in that. So I guess I've been so busy. Uh, I'm so sorry. I've been so busy in my own space with my music. I don't listen to a lot of music, I listen to a lot of older music, but I love the idea uh, that that sound would be coming back. I didn't know, uh, you know, Placid Angles to me is, it's kind of its own thing. And if people are, if that's part of a scene, I need to know more about this.
1: And, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't know all that much about, about recent new age stuff. I need, for okay. me, I need, I need a kind of beat, I think Yeah. I, for me to listen, Yeah.
0: you know, yeah. So the same with me, I love ambient electronica with rhythms and, but I've never been a big um, beatless, I mean, at least some rhythm, right. You know, cause I think 10 days of blue, I think there's kicks on a kick drum on one of the songs, right. Um, maybe two. So I, but yes, I'm with you. I need we need to kind of move on a move in a direction for sure rhythmically. So I'm with you on that. But to answer your question, I would I'd be elated to hear about some new scene, uh, new age slash deep forest esque scene that was on the, on the back back in effect.
1: So you you're from Lansing, which mm. is just down the road from Detroit. Yes. Um, how important was was Detroit to your work?
0: Big time. You know, I was really into a lot of um, post punk and um, new wave and industrial in high school. Um, mainly uh, English acts. Um, obviously, the the, tech, the the pop, the techno pop guys like Depeche Mode, stuff like that. Kind of ruled my world in high school. And when I got out, um, actually, Depeche Mode, when I got out of high school, was kind of, I think Violator was the last uh, record when I was in high school. And after that, I think it was kind of, we'd all agree, it was kind of a from there for a while. And I kind of stopped following them. And, and Detroit was a, a major, um, filled a major gap for a lot of us. You know, I still into industrial and, you know, Nitsurab and there was Skinny Puppy and all those kind of, right, those, but there was something kind of missing because it was, bands were all very Depeche Mode-esque, wouldn't you say, and I, Detroit techno is uh, its, its own animal, so, and that, you know, that changed the game for a lot of people, including myself, and being able to go there and, and frequent these amazing clubs, these underground clubs and going to see these, you know, these future legends at the time um, was uh, was was fantastic and life changing for me.
1: What was it like in Detroit at the time? I mean, I asked because, you know, I'm, I'm a British person of a certain age and, you know, growing up in the 90s, we very much idolized everything that was happening in Detroit. You know, if someone came from Detroit for us, it, you know, it, it was like, wow, we couldn't we couldn't believe it. And the idea of like going to a techno party in Detroit would have been astounding. Yeah, I couldn't
0: believe it either. So, and I was there and from this, you know, from that era. Um, yeah, Detroit was um a, a kind of scary place in the early 90s at night, you know. We'd go to the majestic and you know, be in line, you'd hear a gunshot in the alleys, yeah. And uh, that sort of thing. And uh that was not rare. And um, but it seemed to be a very, how should I say, very um, very mixed, cult, very, it was very mixed culturally, black, white, uh, Asian, whatever you're thinking, gay, straight, uh, tall, short, whatever it was, you were, they, we glommed together in, the, in that scene. I, I remember the shelter where Richie Houghton played, and I used to see Richie pull up in his little junkie car and come out with his big crates of records. We'd just see, oh, there's Richie pointing around the corner. And, you know, I hadn't really done anything yet. So Richie was a legend at this place called The Shelter. It was at the bottom of St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit, downtown Detroit. And the scene was crazy. Like I said, all types of people. And it was was fascinating still to this day. I don't get crazy excited about many things uh, in my older age, Um, uh, but I would, you know, I'd give anything to go back to feel that energy again, because um, whether it be that or the UN or the Majestic or any uh, of the maybe late after hours, thing, it was crazy. And the music, as you know, that, you know, you, when you hear like Suburbanites come on, you know, or, um, Art of the Stalker, like that's playing as you're walking in a club, it's it's mind twisting, you know, and the fashion was off the charts, you know, you just had, you know, just, it was cool, man. It was, it was super um, for a kid coming from Lansing, Michigan, a college town. It was, it was, it was, it That was all I needed to see.
1: I have a theory and this might be, this might be nonsense, but I'll try it anyway, which is yeah. that um, one of the reasons that your, that your music is, like detroit but slightly different is because you come from this this one step removed like from lansing sure. rather than sure. detroit detroit do you think that was sure. important you know because you, you had detroit just there but you also had like the space you also had your own kind of different environment
0: sure yeah i grew up playing you know soccer and tennis and
1: you know um
0: it's a little easier going here you know there's you know not the pollution the, the crime the traffic and it's a college town, so it's a very friendly place. It's kind of like it's kind of like my shire, if you will, and and so I had a lot of different interests other than music. Still do, still play a lot of tennis, and um, so yes, um, to draw from the energy and the the um, the the powerful energy that de- you know the Derek Mays and the um, Carl Craigs were creating. I had my own little space, didn't I, away from that. And it was, it was beneficial. And, yeah, you hear my music completely.
1: You talked recently about the funk, soul, and blackness behind Detroit techno. Do you think that has become lost in some newer techno?
0: Yeah, it's hard to kind of explain where that music comes from. Um, whether it be Derek or um, Juan, that comes from a. I mean, there those gentlemen listened to it, Parliament, Funkadelic, you know, Africa, Bombata, Craftwork, and we all do now. It's, it's fair; we can pull anything up at any time, right? But they came from that culture, you know. They're, you know, it was kind of, it was like techno slash hip hop, New York kind of breakdancing music you can't you can't just recreate things that was a time and i refer to cool Herc and um, grandmaster flash in new york city you can do all the hip-hop you want everywhere i mean but you can't recreate the energy that those that spawned the original sound um that you get of detroit techno so for me it's pretty clear um to answer your question, if you don't mind asking the question, I was I was going there, but I, what was it? Was questioning him?
1: Do you think that the sort of funk and soul and blackness is missing from a lot of of newer tanks?
0: Yeah, I, I yes, I, I do because I think the funk and the soul and the blackness was, you know, pretty funky and soulful and black back then. So it's kind of like I said. Let me finish where I was going. Yeah. Um, it's hard to recreate that, but it doesn't mean there isn't funk and soul and black everywhere around the planet now. But it was so concentrated, wasn't it? You know, as I refer to the Cool Herc and the um, Grandmaster Flash in New York City, or the Juan Atkins in, in Derek May, Kevin Saunderson in Detroit. It's it's it was tangible. We can recreate things, and we you know soulfully discharge all of this funk. But if they lived it. And if you went to the clubs, you would know what I mean. They, they, you know, it was in your face and it was tangible and it was, a, you know, it, it was, um, it was really tough, tough scene. Um, You, you, you know, it was on coming from Lansing. You didn't, you know, you didn't know, am I going to leave this place tonight? You know, are we going to get out of here alive? It wasn't like dangerous, but you're like, I'm just letting loose. I'm going to this dark room and I just, these guys are going to play music. We'll see how it goes. So it it was a whole different thing. And I, as a 52 year old man, I don't go to the clubs like that anymore. So I don't know if that's still happening out there. I assume there's moments, but there was, it was every weekend, Friday and Saturday in Detroit back then.
1: In the sort of early, well, mid to late 90s, You started to take inspiration from jungle and drum and bass. Um, yeah, a little bit. How did you find that music?
0: You know, a buddy of mine went to England uh, for some study abroad thing um, for his law school and um, came back with some jungle tapes <laughs> and got caught up to some raves. And, and I'd never heard jungle before that. And um, I think jungle precedes uh um drum and bass wouldn't you say
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah so you know you heard this more really kind of hardcore dubby jungle stuff and i was cool with that i was cool with anything that was kind of had the energy and it had always had its place but when i heard the drum and bass and i heard the buchems and the goldies like timeless and stuff then it kind of started to tie together for me because you know you heard the pads and the chord progressions and the, the ethereal part of it all and then the drums were even more a little bit laid back sometimes and that was kind of my bag uh, And it, but I was really pushed into it by Renat at r he wanted it kind of drum and bass stuff for me, he thought I'd, I'd be good at it, I think I was okay at it um, I think if I put you know, continued um, I could have been very good at it so I, I dabbled um, but I, I think that my logical progressions was the, the main record. I think that caught us a lot of us, it wasn't jungle and it wasn't, you know, just, you know, um, yeah, electronica, it was kind of a mix and that kind of, you know, that was a very important album for me. And so anything that I've done still kind of, you know, I still, you know, that's still an influence of mine if I was to be asked to do it like uh, a drum and bass album, that would still be probably something I would draw from.
1: A lot of the drum and bass jungle people were inspired by Detroit techno. Did you see like a link between the two forms of music? No, no,
0: I didn't. I didn't know that either. Um, that's cool. Um, no, I didn't see much of a link other than maybe the kind of the, the, uh, how should I say the futuristic, uh kind of space theme, right? This kind of outer space theme, you know, they have like the planets and the futuristic stuff. Other than that, I don't really, I don't even hear it still. I, it was, um I, I always think drum and bass
1: is its own thing, but you know, that's cool to know. I didn't know that. And generally what did what did America make of, of Jungle in the 90s? I'm never quite sure if like people listened that how many people listened to it what if it went over? I think it was just, it was just me and my
0: buddies. <laughs> really. I do I don't know many other people that really were into Jungle. I'll meet some random people along the way. I've met some random people along the way that are like your Jungle DJs here. Like one out of 20 djs are big in the jungle but i think it had its time i think in the record stores you know you know you'd hear the stuff and be playing next to a hip-hop track or whatever so early jungle could you i would i would equate it more to like hip-hop and the breakbeats you know um of of a lot of early hip-hop than i would techno but that's cool i mean um hope i answered your question there
1: I wanted to ask if I might some fatherhood questions, okay? Um, Because I I have I have two kids, okay, and um, they very rarely pay any attention to the music I want to listen to. Yeah, Um, yeah. and you, your son is ten, correct? Yes. And you said he's into Marshmallow.
0: Likes Marshmallow, yeah.
1: Hey, Jordy, come here real quick. (laughs)
0: Loves Marshmallow. Loves his dad's music, and I'm really happy and proud to say that. This is Jordy.
1: Hey, Jordy, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm Dad, very good, thanks. What, what do you think of your dad's music? I think it's good. Do you have a favorite track? Lose You. Oh,
0: OK.
1: Jordy, how can I, how can I get my kids to listen to good music? How can I get my kids to listen to your dad's music? They just want to listen to Baby show. It's driving me mad.
0: Um. <laughs> just play it for him, huh? Yeah. You know, I just, you know, for a while, I basically would just, um, you know, I, you just had to listen to the music in the car. Um, and Lose You, he's in Lose You, so um, his little samples of him when he's a little baby, he can go, buddy. Um when he was a little baby, so for him, he's connected to it and proud, to, <laughs> proud to be in it. He's in a couple of songs throughout the last few years.
1: Does the fact that he like mar- that he likes marshmallow does that make you like marshmallow? On some I listen,
0: I listen closer for sure, right? And tell me, who are your kids? Who are your kids into, and how old are
1: they? Um, my daughter's six. Uh, sorry, no, my daughter's eight. My son is six. OK. Um, and my son isn't into all that much, to be honest. He's not sort of developed, like, a few sort of um, still young pop things. Yeah. My sure. daughter has got more um, advanced tastes. My, my daughter is really into. Have you ever heard of a producer called The Fat Rat? No. He's a German producer that makes like really, really, really poppy electronic music. Kind of like. Okay. The poppiest kind yeah. of EDM you can imagine, and she's okay. really, really, really into him. Um, and she does like she likes one marshmallow tune with Bastille, I think it was. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I, I tried like when I was younger, you know, I, I tried them on things like craft work, and I think they indulged me for a bit, and then like, <laughs> you know.
0: Sorry about that. I had a phone call coming. See me. Sorry. Oh yeah. You know, I think I have played craft for for Jordy. Um, he's pretty open to what I I play. I get. I'm really into like yacht rock in the summer, like Ambrosia and Player and and Chicago and and I listen to that stuff. And he knows the words of a lot of that stuff. That's all nostalgic stuff for me in the summer when we're like driving to the lake or something. But, um. To answer your question, you just got to keep just inundating them with all the good stuff. See what what sinks in. Right.
1: Yeah. No, we try to listen to, to music every every dinner time. And I put something on like stay up on the Beach Boys and uh, they were not very amused again.
0: <laughs> you know, like Jordy likes good vibrations. We we like that one. We were it was on the radio and he was he liked it.
1: I should I should have gone for something like that. I, I was listening to one of their acapella cappella uh, albums
0: yeah go for the go for the popular ones first because there is a re- there is a recipe even when it comes to marshmallow or good vibrations popular music is a uh is popular for a reason isn't it
1: yeah well that's the thing like my, my daughter for example introduced me to black pink and i like black pink i think i think that's really good so yeah. you know there, there is stuff she's introduced me to i like and there's stuff that yeah i can't quite swallow like the the fact. No.
0: But yeah, the fat rat and marshmallow. I give it a, a, you know, he's he's passionate about it, so I, I I I'll listen. But yeah, you know, it's you know, we're just you know, it is what it is. We I think we come from a um, we're we're very lucky to have been the age we were. How old are you? Forty three. Okay, forty three. We were lucky to be in that range to be young when a lot of the music that was coming out and also preceded it had been kind of still um available you know we're really lucky and um and trying to trying to be subjective here i or objective i would like to they're not as lucky as we are that they can always dig it out which is great because they have technology ahead of them for our you know as more than we did um and behind them so they have all the the tools to go get all the music they want. But I really, I love the, the, era, the era that we grew up in. We were just so lucky.
1: One thing that does worry me though, is that, well, not worry me, but it, I used to flick through my parents' records and now the vast majority of my music is sitting on you know, a hard drive, basically. You can't flick through it. So I'm not quite sure how they're ever gonna, how they're ever gonna find it. But. Do
0: you listen to vinyl still?
1: I do, but um, I don't have my records here with me Sorry.
0: so you're in Madrid
1: at uh, Barcelona Barcelona
0: Barcelona uh so yeah I I think you gotta just get the small record the re- small record um collection going get them get them hands-on Jordy helped me build my uh little uh kind of mid-century record um player holder and a record holder so it holds a receiver. And, you know, he's, he's, he's hands on, you know, uh, I don't push the stuff on him. I don't push sports on him or music. He kind of finds his way. But have records available for the kids and they'll be on it. Yeah. You know, and then throw in whatever you listen to a couple of what you used to listen to your parents. You know, tell those stories. Yeah. You know, about oh. where that stuff comes from for you.
1: Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just want to ask one, no. one, one more thing, if I, if I may. Um, okay. You mentioned briefly, interview, you made music for the Oprah Winfrey show. What, what the hell yes. was, what was
0: that? Yeah, I was doing the bumps. The music that was, um, uh, the bumpers that kind of, you know, and she's like, you know, and we'll be right back after she has a, a segment with a, a guest. And the music that goes on, that comes on, um As you know, she's talking, and they're starting to fade away to commercial, or when they come back from commercial. So my buddy worked at Oprah, worked at Harpo, introduced me to their music supervisor there, and he told me he was looking for a certain kind of music. It was kind of like Chicago house. They wanted kind of some adult Chicago jazzy or R&B type house, and that was easy. And I did these things for a good I don't know, four or five years. And I also did her uh, theme song. The guy had got back, gotten to me, the music supervisor, that she was, you know, on her new network that she was going to be doing a, uh, her new show called Oprah's Next Chapter. Do you have a theme? And I really didn't really want to want to be bothered with it, actually. I was like, I do not. I, I was maybe busy or not even in the music place at the moment. And I just, and and I just grabbed some stuff that I had done a couple, of, maybe maybe a year before that, and sent it to him. I didn't send him, send him anything else. I didn't do anything new. And if he doesn't like what I say you know, you, you got to play the lottery if you want to win it, right? So I sent this song, and they loved it. Oprah loved it. And they used this song. Um, you send me an email sometime, and I'll send it to you uh, to hear this song. Um and uh, send, me, send me an email after this or whatever or tomorrow or whatever and i'll send you the youtube of the song so yeah it got uh she loved it and it it was the theme song to oprah's next chapter unfortunately that show stopped i wish it just kept going <laughs> like her like her show because i'd like to get paid uh keep on getting paid for that that awesome opportunity but so that's yeah it was kind of cool and another story with oprah uh my buddy um, got a chance. to work backstage with a lot of the people, the, the, the guests. And he would speak to them, whether it be Robert De Niro or uh, um, Naomi Campbell or whatever. He'd speak in the hallways, got to go to their dressing room and kind of make sure they were okay and uh, taken care of. And he'd look through Paul McCartney's CDs and he had 10 Days of Blue.
1: Nice. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I lived with my parents at the time. Um, maybe I did, I don't know if I did, I, but I was at my parents and he called me at my parents um, and we were having dinner and it was probably, man, 98 or something. Um, I don't think he looked my parents at that time, couldn't have, but um, so uh, he, he calls to tell me the story and I, and I hang up and I got to tell my parents that that Paul McCartney had 10 Days of Blue in his his CD and it was very, very big very big deal. One of the biggest stories of my life.
1: I can imagine. Yeah. It's interesting with, with, with the Oprah thing, because how do you feel about having some bit of your music in, in that weird space, in like this massive mainstream space, but I don't know how much attention. I mean, people are hearing it every day, millions of people are hearing it every day, but maybe they're not paying all that much attention to it, or maybe they are. I don't know. Does it, does it feel to be a bit weird? I wrote some
0: gems. Uh, Some of those I wish I could just have back and, you know, get to some other, you know, sell them, produce them or whatever. Um, It's for me, you know, I've done a lot of different stuff. I've done Christmas music. I have a couple of Christmas remixes I did for uh, Gap, the store, um, that were on CDs back then. Um, So I've done all kinds of stuff. So for me, it's not weird. Um, I... It's all in a big library, and hundred songs at least in a library. I'd like to, to know what's happening with all that stuff. But other than that, it's par for the course for me, man. I just I do so much different stuff, and I've had so many different kinds of experiences. You know, if I had just stayed, I loop back around, just stayed with Ten Days of Blue. I think, um, I think music, my music career would have been kind of boring.
1: And it certainly hasn't been that. No. No.
0: is yes. powered by sat